We are beginning a new series uh, this morning, and we are uh, going to, as we're getting ready for fall, we're going to talk about our uh, church and our church values. And so if you are a member of our church or have been to a New to New Life class, you have seen a little booklet like this. If you haven't seen a little booklet like this before or don't have one, there's uh, some on the resource table. You can grab those on the way out because the next several weeks we are going to be talking about this. Um, And so uh, I'd like to just let you know, can you put that graphic up for me, please, Rissy? Okay, so, so uh, what we're talking about the, over the next five weeks or so is our spiritual dynamic, our spiritual dynamic, and we have this diagram, this is uh, like page two, right after our church's mission, which we're not going to talk about because not this time, but uh, we're going to be talking about our spiritual dynamic. This is uh, how we work, right? How, what are the dynamics? How, how does it work? Uh, that's one of the things that, that we're talking about here is how do we expect our spiritual life to work? And so this is how we expect it to work. You have in the center here is the gospel. And so we're going to be talking about uh, that today and what does it mean to have the gospel in the center? What is the gospel and what does it mean to have the gospel in the center? And then uh, radiating out from those, we have uh, personal change, community mission, and service. So we expect that these are the outcomes. If you are focused on the gospel, these will be the outcomes uh, that will follow, right? That, uh, that isn't to say that uh, if you do this, then you get this. Sorry, let, let me back up. Let me try this again. In my head, I had this way that it was going to come out really smooth. I had somebody tell me this morning, you have to knock it out of the park. And I've been so concerned about that that now I'm getting it wrong. Thanks, Lisa. (laughs) Okay, in the center we have the gospel. If we believe and follow what the gospel says, and we'll explain that in a minute, then these are outcomes that we expect. We expect that we will have personal change if we believe the gospel. We expect that we will have a new gospel-centered community if we believe the gospel. We expect that we will then be sent on the same mission that Christ was on. We will be sent on that same mission if we believe the gospel, and we expect that we will be empowered for and sent to do service, that we will be doing good things for God if we believe the gospel. Now, some of you might be thinking, I already want to do good things. I already want to have community. I already want to have personal change. The way that you are going to get that is the gospel. We don't believe the gospel so that we get those outcomes, but we do believe that when we believe the gospel, we will get those outcomes. Does that make sense? Okay, I think I got it. Thanks. Okay, so here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Colossians. No, we're not. We're going to start in Romans. (laughs) We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. We will get to Colossians later. I was just whetting your appetite. Colossians will come later. 
We're going to start in, in Romans chapter 1 because we want to talk about what does the gospel mean, okay? So in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, he starts off, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to say I believe the gospel. I am a gospel follower. And at this point, I have said gospel so many times in this service that I feel like I have to define what that word means. What does it mean, gospel? It is, at its most basic level, the word itself, gospel, just means good news. Good news. That's all it means. We use the word gospel. Um, I don't know why we use the word gospel. We could just say good news. I think it would be clearer, but somehow we got held hold on to this word, and now it's everywhere. And so I want to just be clear that every time somebody says gospel, you can think good news, and you can just swap that out. One word for the other two, right? Good news can, can replace gospel every single time. So what is gospel? Good news. Okay, good. I, I was, I was, we were going to do a call and response thing, and I was afraid you weren't going to follow me. So thank you very much for following along. Yes. So, so the gospel is good news. Now, specifically, when we're talking about the gospel, right? Not just any gospel, but the gospel. What are we talking about? We're talking about the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, this is verse, six, verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the good news that we have is that uh, those of us who have faith and believe have uh, righteousness. Okay, that's, we are made righteousness through our faith and through our believing. Now, we're going to unpack all of this, but I want to step back and say that the gospel is written down for us in the scriptures. It is a story that has been written down for us. And it's a story that's been written down by a variety of people in their interactions with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They wrote it down for us so that they could say, this is who how I have seen who God is and how I have interacted with him. And over millennia, this was all written down so that we could see and know this good news. That God created the heavens and the earth, that they were marred by sin, and then that God interacted with his people to save them from sin, to give them righteousness and restore them to relationship with him. And it finds its pinnacle, this story finds its peak in Jesus. When Jesus comes, uh, that, that is, God in flesh comes to die on the cross for the sins of all people as a one-time sacrifice so that their sins might be forgiven. Anyone who believes in him, their sins might be forgiven. And he will come again to uh, fully recreate all things and make it perfect again. 
That's, that's the gospel story as is laid out in the scriptures for us, and it's all encapsulated in the Bible as one huge story. But it all is this good news that finds its peak in Jesus in the redemption that we've already been talking about. You've been hearing us uh, talk about it through this service already, that we find our redemption in Jesus. That is the peak. That's the pinnacle of this story. But all together is the story together. Now, I I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about uh, the story of the gospel and how that uh, relates, and then how we relate to that story, right? Because we have the scriptures written down for us, that is, how God has been acting throughout history and how he's been interacting with his people, and it teaches us how then we can interact with God. And so as you're living your life, your story is being written in parallel with the scriptures, and as your story, of the story of your life is being written in parallel with the scriptures, I am hopeful that the good news about Jesus, the good news that we get from the scriptures about who God is, is impacting your story, right? There are people whose lives are happening in parallel with God, and they are not interacting with God's story at all. Their story, their life story has nothing to do with God. They are not identifying with Jesus. They are not believing that that story is true. They are just writing their own story, living their own life, doing their own thing, and there's no interaction between them and the story of God. They're separated from God completely. But it is my hope that you are not separated from God, that you are believing this good news about God, and that as your story is being written, you are interacting with the story of God, and it is impacting you and changing you so that those things that we were talking about in that uh, diagram, that those outcomes are coming out for you too, that that's happening for you. I I was thinking about this uh, in terms of stories just in general, and because Uh, I was thinking about, okay, if we were to interact with the story or not interact with the story, how can I, how can I give a visual for this? So I was thinking about like um, the Marvel Comics universe or Star Wars, right? If if you had the Star Wars story, there's the Star Wars saga, there is like so many stories now. Right? There's so many stories having to do with Star Wars, and there are so many people who are writing, there are authors who are writing uh, those stories and, and directing those movies, and, and that it's just, it keeps on growing and growing, this story, right? Now, let's say that somebody says, okay, I'm going to write a Star Wars story too. I'm going to write a Star Wars story, and I'm going to base it in New York. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have uh, the two forensic scientists in New York, and they are going to um, investigate strange deaths, and they are going to use forensic science to investigate those strange deaths, and uh, we'll see what the outcome is, and maybe there'll be some witty banter between them, and you're going, wait a second, this is not a Star Wars story. This sounds like a CSI episode or something like that, right? Why isn't it a Star Wars story? Well, because a Star Wars story happened a long time ago in a galaxy far away. It didn't happen a couple of years ago in New York. And there would be things like the Force are happening in there, and there would be Jedis, and there would be alien races. It's not going to include forensic science in New York. That st- those stories don't relate to one another. They're not, they're not connected to one another. 
Okay, let's, let's take another example. Let's say you're using the Marvel comic universe, and so you're like, okay, I'm going to write a story, right? I'm going to write a story. I'm going to write a story about Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is going to go back in time. He's going to go back in time and to like the 1800s, and he's going to interact with a young woman named Jane. And then we're going to shift our focus to Jane because Doctor Strange is going to leave again, but we're going to follow now this narrative of Jane, who is a young woman who is coming of age and trying to make her way in the gentry of England while also falling in love with the stable hand. And we're going to explore that story. And you're going, wait a second, that's, that's not how the Marvel comic universe works, Travis. You can't just throw Doctor Strange in there and then go away from Doctor Strange and have a Jane Austen novel and think that that still fits as the Marvel comic universe. It doesn't work. And I will say, it is the same way with the gospel. It is the same way with the gospel. When we are looking at writing the story of our lives, it must interact with the story of God, and it must continue to act with, interact with the story of God. That is our spiritual dynamic. It must include the gospel, the good news of God, through the center of it, and it must maintain it there. Because otherwise, you're not writing a gospel-impacted story. Your life is not interacting with God. And so let's dive into this now and see what this gospel is. Let's unpack it so that we're really clear. Romans chapter 3. We read this at the beginning of the service, and so it should sound familiar to you if you were paying attention at the beginning of the service. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That is this, verse 22 of Romans chapter 3. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For is, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's pause there for a moment. For all have sinned. This is what has been made known to us. It is a thing that we can see with our eyes experientially, and it is a thing that has been made explicit through Scripture that all people of all time everywhere have sinned. That is, they have fallen short of the glory of God. They have not met God's standards. They have not held God to be in the prime place as creator and Lord of creation. They have instead turned toward other things to look to those things for their hope. They have rejected God and his sovereignty, and they are trying to write their own stories in their own way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is to say, recognizing that all people everywhere are sinful and need to be redeemed, need to be restored, need to be remade. There are people who recognize their sinfulness and say, okay, the thing that I must do to undo this sinfulness within me is I must try harder and do better so that I no longer sin and so that I can make up for all of the sins that I previously did. That's what I must do. 
But that's not the gospel story. That's not the way that God set this up. He says that though all have sinned, they are justified by his grace as a gift. He looked at us and said, you cannot pay the debt that you owe. You cannot undo all of the wrong that you have done. You cannot fix it. You cannot unsin. You cannot redeem yourself. And so what I am going to do is I am going to give you a gift. It's going to be a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. I'm just going to give it to you. It is my gracious gift to you that you will be justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How's he going to do this? How is he going to justify us and redeem us? What he's going to do is he's going to give us this gift of Jesus who is going to be a propitiation for us. That's what it says in verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That is to say that Jesus was the was uh, put himself in a sacrificial position, right? So if you think about uh, movies and things and somebody has to die and you go, oh no, they're going to die. And somebody else steps in and goes, I will take their place. I will take their place. Take me instead. Don't take them, spare them. Out of some kind of love for them, they step in and say, take me instead. There are so many examples of this. Take me instead. And Jesus does that for us. He looks at us. He sees our sin. He knows that we deserve to die for our sins. And he says, take me instead. And so Jesus steps in. And he dies in our place so that we might be justified. He is the propitiation that we then receive by faith. This is a free gift from God. He says, I have already done this. I have already sent Jesus to be the propitiation. What you need to do is accept him. That's what you need to do. You need to believe by faith that Jesus is your propitiation, that Jesus died for your sins, that you are forgiven, not because of works that you do, but because of Jesus. You no longer stand condemned by, by your sin. You're set free and are righteous instead because of Jesus. That's how you get it. Well, wait, Travis, don't I have to do something more than that? Nope. Nope. You have to believe that Jesus died in your place. He died for you so that you could be righteous instead of sinful. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was in order to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was, in verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that phrase. He is both just and the justifier. 
Because otherwise what ends up happening is we say, okay, I know that I did some bad things in the past, but it wasn't that bad. Or, I know it wasn't that bad, or I know I did these things in the past, but can we just pretend that didn't happen? Can we just pretend that no damage occurred here? Right? If I go into a store and I knock something off the shelf, either intentionally or unintentionally, it doesn't matter. If I go into a store and I knock something off the shelf and it breaks, whoops, can we just, can we just pretend that didn't happen? Can we just pretend that didn't happen? Maybe it wasn't that important anyway, right? The store owner is going, no, that, that was important. You're going to need to pay for that because you broke it. Your carelessness or your intentionality, you broke this thing, you're going to have to pay for that thing. But what if we pretend it didn't break? But it did break, so you owe it. Fair point. I understand you're saying that I broke the thing and I owe it, because I broke it, but let's just pretend it didn't happen. Right? That's what happens so, for so many people. They're going, okay, can we just pretend it didn't happen? Can we just ignore it? Can we just recognize everybody does bad things, and so we're all just going to put up with the bad things that everybody else has done? And we've moved on from it. It's in the past, so we're not going to worry about it anymore. What's important, really, is that we just move forward and do good things in the future, Right? And God says, no, that would be unjust. If you are damaging things and breaking things and committing sins, it doesn't matter that it happened in the past. It really did happen. You really did do damage. It really does owe something. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. So that I can be just, that is, that all of those debts will be paid as they deserve to be paid, I will be just, I will also be the justifier by, by giving Jesus to pay all of that debt. Jesus will come in and pay all of that debt so that God can be both just and the justifier. If you would go on to uh, Romans 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, who did Christ die for? The really, the really spiritual people, right? The really holy ones, that's who Christ died for. The, the people that God looked and went, oh, yeah, I would love to have them on my team. They, would, they are really, they are worth me dying for them. No. For while we were still weak and pathetic, and there was no reason for God to pick us to be on his team, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those sinful, rebellious people who had said, I want nothing to do with God. God says, I am going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? 
God is just. God will punish sin. He will punish all sin. He will deal with it and he will make it right. And at the same time, he graciously says, here is Jesus to stand in your place. And he will take all of the punishment that you deserve. And when we talk about this good news, this is what we're talking about. We are talking about this, that though uh, God created all things good, they were marred and broken by sin and needed someone to step in and redeem them and fix them. And so Jesus has come to do that. That's what we're talking about. But do you know that we're not merely talking about individuals? We're not merely talking about you as an individual and your sins, though often the gospel gets talked about that way, as if the only thing that Jesus came to do was to die on the cross for your sins. Now, don't get me wrong. From my perspective, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins is very important. But... It was not the only thing that Jesus was doing because in his dying on the cross, he was redeeming individuals and by redeeming individuals, he was redeeming communities. Because when he, God created the world and he created people, he created them to live in harmony, in unity with one another and with him. And when sin came into the world, that relationship between the individuals and God was broken, but also the relationship between the individuals, that community, was also broken. And not only that, but creation itself was broken. So there was this need not only for individuals to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, by the uh, sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but all of creation was groaning and saying, hey, us too, we need fixing too. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Can you imagine that? The ground, the oceans, the trees, the animals, all of creation is sitting around waiting for God to reveal those whom he has saved. They're all just waiting for that. And why are they waiting? Because in verse 20 of Romans chapter 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That is, when uh, when mankind first sinned and it ruined everything, it impacted absolutely everything. Absolutely everything was impacted. There was nothing among God's creation that was not impacted by the fall of mankind and by the entrance of sin into the world. 
all the systems were broken. It didn't work the way it was supposed to anymore. And so all of creation then is waiting for this final restoration. Waiting for this new creation, this new birth to come. And it's as if it's in the pains of childbirth that those labor contractions and going, oh, when? Oh, this has to happen now. This has to happen now. All of creation is waiting like that. Knowing that it has already begun, that Jesus has already died on the cross, and that at some point it will be fully restored, and all of creation is waiting for that restoration, so that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. When Jesus comes and he judges the world, it will be over, and then there will be this new creation where everything will function exactly as God intended it to be at the very beginning. And everyone is looking forward to that day. Everybody's looking forward to that day. And this is the story then that we keep telling in, in its pieces, right? That, that there was a creation, God created the world. There was a fall because of sin and things were broken. There was a redemption that Jesus died on the cross to offer sacrifice to pay for all of those sins and to make all things right. And there will be a restoration in the end when he will make all things new. And so you, if you've been around uh, here for any length of time, I hope that you have heard that over and over again. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Because this is the story of God. This is the story of the Bible. That's the arc of the Bible that you see the, the creation in the very beginning. Then you see the fall and the sinfulness of, of man and the effects that that has had on communities and on the world. Then you see the redemption in Jesus Christ. And then finally you, will, you see the, revel, uh, the uh, restoration in Revelation at the end of the story. And that's the hope that we are looking forward to. So, I know some of you have been going, are we ever going to get to Colossians? You just keep bringing Romans after Romans after Romans, and you promised us Colossians, so let's go to Colossians. Because if that is the gospel story of God, then what does it mean for us to believe the gospel and keep it as part of our gospel-centered life? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. See, one of the things that happens when we talk about salvation in the church is the way that it's been talked about in the past is that it's this one-time thing, right? Did you walk the aisle? Did you pray the prayer? And it, it, it gets centralized down to this one moment where you recognize that you are a sinner and you pray, God, would you forgive me because of the work that Jesus does? And I believed that at that point. And so, boom, I'm saved, all done. Right? 
And so people will talk about it at times as if it was your ticket to heaven. Did you pray the prayer? Did you repent and believe that Jesus was your Savior? Get that ticket, and now you're going to heaven when you die. Like it's Disneyland or something. I already bought my tickets. I got it. I can go to Disneyland. But what he's talking about here is that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, if you recognize that Jesus is sovereign God over the universe and that he is the Lord of all of his creation, including you, that if you believe that, it is going to change the way you live. That's not the kind of thing that you one time acknowledged and believed and then it was over. It's the kind of thing that you learn about, you believe it, and it has to change you. It has to. There's there's no way that you go, oh, I was sinful. Jesus, the Lord of creation, died on the cross for my sins and forgave me of my sins and rules over his creation and my life. Sweet. I think I'll go back to the way I was living before. No. Now that you know that, you're going to have to live knowing that. Now that you know that Jesus is Lord over all creation, you are going to have to live with that knowledge. I, I had some, one time somebody explain to me how hot dogs were made. Ha, ha, ha. I have had to live with that knowledge ever since. It has changed my relationship with hot dogs. If you know who God is and you understand his gospel, his good news, it will change your life. You cannot go back. You can't go back. You can't unknow. To turn around and go back to a former way of life after understanding that is to say you never believed it. You didn't really get it. Because as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so now walk in him. So now walk in him. As you've received Jesus... Somebody gave you the gospel, they explained the gospel to you, and you said, oh, I get it, I accept that, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, walk in Him. Walk in relationship with Him, in that knowledge that Jesus is your Savior. He is your Lord. Now you're going to walk with Him. And then he gives these great analogies of that we will be rooted and built up in him. Have you uh, seen a tree that was planted and then you go, okay, that tree is going to do really well, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about the grass in my yard and how the grass was all dying because it wasn't getting water. And there's like this much uh, roots in grass. And so if there's not water in this much dirt... It dies. But the trees in my yard don't have any issue with the heat because they have roots that go deep down and find water deep down. And what he's using here now is this analogy that he wants you in your spiritual life to draw sustenance and power from roots that are deep 
down in the good news of Jesus. So those times when you find yourself going, I don't think I have the energy to face today. I don't know that I can go on. I don't know that I can get through this. I don't know that I can push through. He says the thing that you should do in those moments is root yourself deep in Jesus. Be transformed by the power of the gospel and the knowledge of who he is. Be rooted in him, and then he talks about being built up. Like you're building a building or a wall or something, and all of that foundation is on Jesus so that everything you build in your life, everything that you're doing, all of the story that you are writing on your life is built on the foundation of Jesus and relates to Jesus. It's impacted by him. So that you will be rooted and built up and established in the faith just as you were taught. Just as you have received it, just as you have taught, just as somebody explained it to you and as you opened up the scriptures and you read it and you began to understand the story of God and how you relate relate to it, that is how you ought to walk. That is how you ought to live. And as I was reading this passage, I was going, this doesn't quite... This isn't quite how I remembered this passage, right? That that it was talking about being rooted. I I thought that that was somewhere else. And so I was looking and I went, oh, do you know Paul used the same language twice in two different letters? He used this language in Colossians and then he used it again in Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I was like, oh, yeah, Ephesians 3. I had somehow put those two verses together in my mind. The Colossians 2 verse and the Ephesians 3 verse had been put together in my mind. But I was looking at this and going, those are two awesome verses. Because in both of these, Paul is explaining to the church a new church that he's writing to to encourage them. And what he's saying is the things that you believed at first, those things that got you saved from your sin and made you righteous, now hang on to that. Cling to it. Believe it. Because the, the, the way that you live your life now is going to be impacted by that. Everything is going to come out of the knowledge of God as your Savior. Everything is going to come from there. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, that so that you may comprehend, this is awesome, verse 18, so that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with everyone who believes in Jesus, so that you may have the strength to, to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That is beautiful. That's beautiful. 
because this is what it means then to uh, live in the gospel. This is why when we have that graphic, we say we are centered on the gospel. We want every single worship service that we do to be centered on the gospel. We want every activity that we do to be centered on the gospel. We want every life group that meets to be centered on the gospel. We want this whole community to be centered on the gospel. And we want every individual within this community to be centered on the gospel. And if we are then we may begin to understand the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of God for us. The more time we spend in this, the more time you spend uh, praying and reading the scriptures and talking with people about these things, the more you experience the love of God in your life, the more you go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow! Have you ever looked at something and gone, oh, it just, gets, it just gets better and better. It just keeps getting bigger. The more you dig into this, the more you begin to see the little bit of who God is, right? The, you get to experience when you first get to know Jesus and somebody explains the gospel to you for the first time and you just get that little hint of who Jesus is and you go, oh, that's cool. Like he takes away my sin? Yeah, he takes away your sin. Okay. And then you start to get to know it a little bit further. Wait, 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 wait. But what about this sin? Yeah, that sin too. Oh. But what about all that sin? What about the shame that I experienced because of that? Yes, he takes away all of that. He has set you free. There is no more sin in your history. Do you recognize that if you believe in Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees no sin? He sees no fault at all. When I look at me in the mirror, all I see is deficiencies. And when God looks at me, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus in your life. And the more you begin to understand all that he has already done in you, the more that you understand the way that he has in not only transformed you as individuals, but then collectively, right? So you begin to understand, oh wait, not just me, but you too? And you start to talk with people and you start to hear their stories and their past and the, thing that God, the things that God has done for them. And you go, oh, wow. This is amazing. God is amazing. And what we want in this place is for every single person to get to know more and more every day. And do you know what? It never ends. It never ends. You can't study it to the point where you fully get it. You can't understand it or experience it to the point where you go, this is all. I have experienced all of the love of God that could ever possibly be experienced. That will never, ever happen. And the more that we interact in this place with one another centered on this, the more beautiful it gets. Until one day, he will have all things restored and we will experience it perfectly forevermore. And even at that point, I think we will continue to go, oh, wow.
It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like the way they keep sending telescopes out into space. And they just keep sending telescopes out there. They, they don't intend to ever get them back. They're like, we're going to throw it as far as we can. And you take pictures and send them back. What if we throw a bigger telescope with higher resolution and we throw it even farther? We just get cooler pictures. And more universe. It just keeps going and we keep going, whoa! And God went, let there be light. And in the light, let there be stars. It took like three words. Let there be four words. <laughs> let there be stars. And then we get back all these pictures. When you said, let there be stars, that's what you meant? Yeah. When you said, let them be clean of sin, that's what you meant? It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he breaks in the middle of this to say, and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. From generation to generation to generation, forever, it just keeps going and getting bigger and bigger and better and better. And as your story is being written, as your life story is being written, you are adding to that as you interact with God. Your story is interacting with God and being impacted by God, and, and it is uh, adding to this, but not through your power and strength. It is the work of God within us. So in the beginning, when we needed it, because we recognized that we were sinful, and so God gave us this free gift of grace, he continues to give us this free gift of grace and strength so that we might continue to grow in knowledge of him, and it all comes from him. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this more and more, because here's what we see. Can we put that graphic back up and see if that, it works again? As we focus our lives on the gospel, it functions like a flywheel, right? So a flywheel on, a, on an engine, when it starts to turn, it's going to give power to all the rest of everything, right? The, the, so when you're starting in the beginning and you first get to know who Jesus is, it's just this little bit of a ink 
And the flywheel just begins to start to turn. And the more that you uh, get to know who God is, and the more you get to understand the gospel, and the more you walk in Him and are rooted and built up in Him, the more that gospel flywheel turns. And when that gospel flywheel turns, then your life will change. And when that gospel flywheel turns, then you will engage in service for God. And when that gospel flywheel turns, you will engage and be sent out on God's mission. And when that gospel flywheel begins to turn, you will find a new community among other believers. And so at every point, we want to come back to this. Because for us, it is the beginning, and it is the middle, and it is the end. And the more we want to see these other things, the more we want to see the church sent out to proclaim the good news of Jesus, the more we focus on the gospel. And the more we want to see people serving within the church and loving on one another and having community within the church, the more we focus on the gospel. And the more we want to see life changes, the more we focus on the gospel because the power comes from God as a free gift to us. And so it will never do for us to stand up and say, okay, people, God's people got to change, so start changing. Okay, people, God's people got to work, so start working. Okay, people, God's people got to proclaim his glory, so start proclaiming. When we do that, it puts it in the power of us, and it ends quick. And so we want everything to be centered on the gospel so that all of those outcomes will happen because we believe in Jesus and because we keep going, oh, wow, over and over again. Let's pray. Father, We are so thankful that when you looked at us and you saw our sinful state in our ungodliness, at that time, you gave us a free gift of grace. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins while we were still in rebellion against you. And then you have proclaimed this good news that we might be set free. And so, Father, I pray for those who are here this morning, who are hearing it for the first time, that you would set them free from sin. That you would set them free from shame and from the darkness that entangles them. And Father, for those who have heard this gospel many times, I pray that they would never walk away from it or abandon it or think that they need to add to it, but that they would continue to see more and more and more the length and breadth and height and depth of your love for us in Jesus. And we ask for this, 
both for our edification and also for the sake of your glory, that you might receive all of the praise that is due to your name. And so now we turn to you so that we may begin to give you that praise. In Jesus' name, amen.